Hey, everybody. I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome to Punk Rock HR. Every week, I try to bring you big ideas about the world of work. This week, my guest is Karina Schultheis. She's a manager of human insights and HCM evangelism at Ultimate Software. That's one of the best companies to work for, not just here in America, but the world. Ultimate Software gets it right on so many levels, and they've been recognized for it. So I invited Karina on the show to talk about the future of work post-COVID, post this conversation on social justice and racial equality. And I just wanted to know what she was thinking about going back to work, being safe, dealing with issues like alcoholism and drug dependency, and just what it's going to take to move the needle forward on the world of work. Admittedly, Karina has a pretty sweet job at a good company, but it hasn't always been that way. She has had other jobs and other bosses. So I'm excited to hear her perspective as a newly promoted employee at Ultimate Software, as a working mother, and as someone who's about to give birth to her second child. If you like insights on human behavior and what it's going to take for companies to turn it around, sit tight and I'll be right back with Karina Schulteis from Ultimate Software. Hey, Karina, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Lori. I am thrilled and honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, it's my pleasure. We are longstanding buddies and friends, and I would have you on the podcast just to talk about who you are and what's going on in your life, and we'll cover that in a second. But you're here in an official capacity. Why don't you tell us who you are and what you're doing here today? Absolutely. Okay. Well, my name is Karina Schulteis and I work for Ultimate Software. And yes, you and I have had many opportunities over the years to work together, which has always been a true highlight of my day and my year. But I have recently switched positions within the organization and I'm working more closely on evaluating the overarching trends that are impacting the industry and really making a difference in the world of work, which for me, is incredibly exciting because I'm a data nerd and I always have been. I love diving into the research. I love using stats. I usually have to go through any content that I create and edit out about three quarters of the stats that I use because it can just get a little bit too heavy. But I mean, I just love looking at data and trends and research and figuring out how organizations can take that to improve the world of work and make it a better place for everyone. So I am just absolutely thrilled to be in a position today where I'm able to focus more heavily on that and creating content that I think can really make a difference. That is really terrific. You know, one of the joys of working with you, knowing that you love data, is the fact that in your previous role, you were all about telling stories and making work and the story of work a little bit more human and a little bit more accessible. And so let's talk about being human for a second, because I just wonder, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? I mean, you have this new job, but I know there are other things going on. So what's up with you, Karina? Yes. It's really interesting that you honed in on that fact because I think really when we think about work, what are we talking about here? We're we're talking about people. We're talking about an organization which is made up of many different people. And so those human stories are really what weave together the fabric of not only your culture, but of how successful you're going to be and the longevity of how you're going to keep that around. So it really is all about people. And in terms of me personally, this has been a very interesting opportunity for growth. 
for me. So I think we can all attest to the fact that this has been a traumatic time for just about everyone. I mean, pretty much overnight, everything we knew, every freedom that we had in terms of accessibility and being able to leave our homes and things like that disappeared. And we've been impacted from COVID on a physical health level, on an emotional health level, and certainly from a financial security level as well. And so I think just as a society, we've been struggling. And then when you consider the horrific murders and police brutality that have been taking place, I mean, I don't even just want to say recently because it's been going on forever, but particularly what we've seen lately and the fact that we have the videos and it's in front of everyone's faces and the social movement behind it. It's so necessary and I'm so grateful for the catalyst. And I feel like change is often messy and it's often spurred by things that are hard to look at and hard to deal with. But what they lead to in the end is what we really need to focus on. And I'm hopeful about where we're headed. And that's not only with the societal changes, but also with the world of work with regards to COVID. So I'm a big fan of remote work. (laughs) Well, I was, I'm going to interrupt you and say, I know you're hopeful. I know you're optimistic. And I know you personally are invested in the future. Why don't we just stop right there and tell everybody why you're so hopeful? Because I think what's happening in the world right now is that it's hard to celebrate small victories, but you've got a pretty big victory on the horizon. (laughs) I do. So yes, we are recording this right now. I am nine months pregnant. So I'll be welcoming a baby boy or baby girl. We're not sure which pretty much any day now. It could be like next week. It could be a couple of weeks, but this is, it's really huge for us. This, this baby has been um, prayed for and longed for, for a very long time. So this has been a huge celebration, but I mean, at the same time, it's also been very challenging to be pregnant with everything that's going on and with hospital regulations, I think, you know, having to give up control of the fact that I won't be able to have a doula or a birthing tub or a lot of, you know, the things that I had planned on. And then stepping back and realizing that just because you don't have control over something doesn't mean it's not still beautiful and that there isn't still so much to be grateful for. So yes, certainly being heavily pregnant has been a big part of my story right now. And so has parenting my five-year-old daughter who is home with me full-time while I'm working full-time and attempting to (laughs) to, to educate her as well. So it's definitely been a opportunity for growth for me personally in many, many ways. Well, I just wonder what you had to do to get ready for the podcast today. I know you didn't prepare for that question, but like, what does it take to move a five-year-old and your partner out of the house so that you can get some quiet time to record an (laughs) HR podcast? (laughs) So I'm extremely fortunate that I do have family here locally. So my mother-in-law was very gracious and offered to take my daughter for the day so that we could really focus. And then my husband, he's been working at home as well. And he essentially works for a call center. So he's on the phones all day long, but they have reopened his offices and he's been choosing to work from home, but he agreed to go into the office today. So I'm enjoying a very unusual quiet day here at home. And it is magical, I have to say. (laughs) Suddenly remote work is not so bad, but I can't imagine the pressures that you face and so many other families face on a daily basis. I mean, remote work is just a challenge for so many of us right now in the world. And I just wonder what your thoughts are on that, especially when we talk about the future of work accommodations. Like, What accommodations are realistic and what's just 
asking for too much. Do you have a perspective on that? So I do. Certainly my perspective is going to be colored by my own experiences, right? So as a working mother who has been on the front lines here, essentially, like I said, my husband is at a call center. So my schedule is a lot more flexible than his. But what that essentially means is that I'm single-handedly responsible for her and I haven't had the opportunity to kind of switch off the way that I've seen a lot of other two-parent households having the opportunity to. And I think faced with the very real possibility that schools will be continuing to be virtual in the fall or having some type of staggered situation, I think the organizations are really going to need to continue to be incredibly flexible. And there's a large aspect of personalization that comes into that, that I think a lot of HR and business leaders have been very hesitant to look into for a number of years for good reason, right? I mean, nobody wants to feel like they're being left out or that so-and-so is getting special treatment when so-and-so isn't. And that's a very real concern and something that HR departments in particular, as well as you know, individual managers have to be cognizant of. But I simply don't see how organizations will be able to continue to thrive over the next who knows how many months without paying a lot of attention to individual circumstances. Because you do have people that are trying to juggle, they don't have childcare, they're trying to juggle this impossibility, right, of of paying attention to their children while also getting their work done. And most likely that means that they won't be able to work traditional hours and they might be waking up early or working more at night after the children go to bed. You also, of course, have people that have elderly caregivers that are super high at risk or people that themselves have health issues or anxiety issues about returning to work even once everything goes back to normal. And I use that with quotations, right? So I think that really becoming more comfortable with the uncomfortable area of personalization is going to be absolutely crucial for organizations. Well, I love this notion that the future of work is wholly dependent on some component of personalization, but personalization requires a culture of trust. And in so many workforces, there's antagonism between supervisors and employees or leadership teams in the workforce and not only full-time workers, but the total workforce. So talk a little bit to me about the word trust and what it takes to really have a culture where you believe in your workforce and the workforce believes in HR. It believes that leaders have its back. So yes, that is so incredibly important. And I've had the unique opportunity to be part of an organization where there was no trust from the top down and from every level down. And I've also had the blessing to be involved at Ultimate Software, where trust really is a huge component of the way that we work. And it's something that I feel every single day and always have. So I think that certainly, you know, we know there's been countless studies that talk about how people don't leave their job, right? They leave their managers and and there's some disputes to that. But for the most part, I think that's huge. Your manager is going to have probably the largest impact on your career and your job satisfaction more than anyone. And particularly in these times, there needs to be that level of trust and communication so that you can say to your manager, listen... I'm struggling right now, or or here's what my schedule looks like. Here's what I'm able to accomplish. And how can I do more? Or or how can I reevaluate my priorities to make myself most effective and most helpful for you and the team and the organization? And when there is that level of trust also, I think as a manager, you want to be able to trust that you've hired the right people. 
And when you know that you've hired the right people, you don't have to be checking on them every moment of every day, whether it's, you know, button seat at the office or whether it's our little green light on Slack or Skype, you know, you know that they're accomplishing their work because you can see it in their metrics or you can see it in the quality of work that they're producing. And so having trust to kind of let your people do what they need to do, particularly when we are living in uncharted territory, (laughs) something that no one has ever gone through before and people are struggling and just having the communication and the trust to work together to make it work for everyone. Because of course, the bottom line is still important. You know, businesses need to survive this just as much as their people do. And so you have to have that balancing act. But when you have invested as a company in creating a culture of trust, and when you've invested as a manager and as an employee in the trust between you and your supervisor, vice versa, that pays off instrumentally, especially during difficult times. Well, that's incredibly well said. And I think about, you know, in the optimal scenarios where there is trust within an organization, within and between leaders and employees, there's still this element of well-being where employees and workers and contractors need to speak up and say, I'm hurting here or I need some help. And when your well-being is off, sometimes it's hard to ask for help. So talk to me about the importance of well-being and how you see that fitting into this conversation. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that probably more than anything else, what we've learned over the past few months is how crucial emotional well-being is to just being able to function as a person and as an employee. And I think that even before all of this happened, organizations were really starting to wise up to that. We've seen so much discussion about mental health over the past couple of years. We've seen a lot of talk about stress and how that is you know, really counterproductive to the workforce culture that we're trying to create. We want everyone to be super productive and efficient, but when they become overstressed, they actually become the exact polar opposite of that. So I think that we all know that stress and overwhelm and having a diminished mental health is bad for people and it's also bad for business. And I can't speak for other organizations, but I have seen certainly in the news that there's been a renewed push towards helping people prioritize their wellness, their emotional wellness during this time. And certainly at Ultimate, We've received countless emails from not only our managers, but from the CEO and the CMO encouraging us to make sure that we're taking PTO days, even though we might not be going on vacation and to encourage shutting off early, you know, to really give ourselves the time and opportunity to decompress. And so it's really heartening to see the fact that organizations are not only talking about these things, but they're starting to back it up with action and showing that this isn't just something that we're encouraging. It's not something we're saying. We actually want you to do it. And look, we're doing it too. Well, and what you're doing is really creating a culture of flexibility, not just for parents, but for people who are caring for their children, people caring for others who are not their children, people who have other stuff going on in their lives. And so I know one of the things that's really important to you is that you believe that there's a role for CEOs and managers to really walk the talk. And so can you talk a little bit about that and how authenticity from a leadership team really fits in with this component of flexibility? Absolutely. I mean, I think we've all had those people, especially executives and frontline managers who, whenever they're on vacation, they're not really on vacation. And, you know, you can just tell it's an incredible work ethic, but I think at least for me, and I I believe most employees feel the same way, I'm going to judge what's expected of me by looking at what I see my superiors doing. And that's really how I can judge 
my own success as, as well as expectations. And so if you're telling me to take PTO, but you don't ever take PTO, to me, that's really saying that PTO is not so encouraged. Yeah, that's exactly what it says. Yeah, it's exactly what it says. And I think it's even more meaningful too when it's coming from the C-suite. And when you're seeing your CEO say, you know, I'm taking this Friday off and I encourage you to do the same or here's what I'm doing to prioritize my own mental health and I truly encourage you to do the same. I mean, it's just another example of walking the walk and making me as an employee feel more comfortable and following suit. I'm really obsessed myself with the word well-being because so many times we talk about it, we can always give out really great advice, right? So hard to follow it individually, but we must follow it. And I think as you talked about C-level leaders, they really have to be thinking about well-being in order to attract and retain top talent. So I know you've got some data around this. You have some thoughts around well-being in the intersection of attracting and retaining top talent. So what insights do you want to provide to us? What advice do you have? So yes, again, speaking from my perspective at Ultimate Software, one of the things that really attracted me to the company right off the bat and actually inspired me to apply was the countless awards that they had won for Best Culture. And again, I came from an organization directly before that that was the polar opposite of that. It was a very toxic, very toxic corporate environment. And so I almost didn't believe what I was seeing. So to me, that was the attraction, right? Was was seeing that these awards had been won, but there was always this peace of mind and you know, in the back of my mind saying, this can't really be real. And there's Well, no Karina, you're no, you're no dummy. I mean, come on, you work in marketing, you know how this works. Exactly. And yet exactly. your experiences have been so positive. I mean, it's really amazing. They have. And to me, that's you're absolutely right. There is a way for organizations to win these awards without completely backing it up with walking the walk, right? I only wish people could see us right now because I'm shaking my head. You're leaning in. I mean, we just know how these systems are fudged. And yet Ultimate Software year after year has really stood the test of time. And you look anywhere on the internet. And I mean, there are always outliers or people who have different experiences. But by and large, your organization is absolutely known for doing the right thing at all different times. And You know, I think about how employees are experiencing trauma and heartache at record levels right now. And they're also going through substance abuse. And you told me that's something you wanted to talk about on this podcast. And I've never had someone from a global corporation say, I want to talk about substance abuse and what it's doing to our workforce right now. So... You know, top talent wants to have these conversations. People want to know that organizations care about this. They care about the opioid epidemic. They care about depression and anxiety. So what are you thinking about all of that right now? Absolutely. And just before we dive into that, I do want to just backtrack real quick because you had talked about attracting and retaining. And I do think that it's an important difference. And Ultimate Software, again, wins all of these awards. And that's a huge form of attraction, but they retain their top talent. We have an incredibly high 92 plus percent retention rate and have for, I believe, the past 20 years. And that's because of exactly like you said, walking the walk and doing the right thing. And I, I can't even get into all of the details of how incredible the communication has been since all of this started, the reassurance that our jobs are safe, 
that we're safe, that we have a safe environment to talk to. If we're struggling, there's been so many resources that have been provided to us. And it's just, I mean, that's just a perfect one-off example of the way that they've taken care of me and everyone else within the organization by doing the right thing. And that is where the retention comes in. You know, it's kind of like you can attract someone with a great salary, but if it's a horrible culture and they're treated poorly, you're not going to retain them. Yeah, that's the story of my HR career right there, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) There is a difference between attraction and retaining. So, so true. I'm glad you mentioned that. Being able to do them both is really unusual, I think, unfortunately, in a lot of organizations. But yes, I would love to talk about substance abuse. And this is a topic that is very near and dear to my heart. My husband works in the addiction treatment industry. My mother does as well. It's something that I've been really involved in the recovery community for almost the last decade. And just this week, my husband's best friend of 20 years died of an overdose. I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's... It's been, oh, a tough, it's been a tough week. Um, and it was oh. it was really interesting timing because I was literally finishing up the edits to a piece that I was writing on substance abuse and the impact of COVID on addiction rates when he came downstairs and told me the news. So it's this is real. And I think part of the reason that it is so meaningful to me is over and above the fact that it's personal to me. But it's something that I don't hear people talking about enough. And I'm so grateful for the conversations that I've seen sparked over the past few years in particular about mental health. And substance abuse will often be mentioned briefly as like a subset of mental health. But it's never the core issue of what people are talking about. And I think that's probably because it's uncomfortable, right? And there's a stigma against mental health, absolutely. But I think the stigma with substance abuse and addiction is it still has a very high level of moral failure or, you know, an ethical shortcoming attached to it. And so I think that that makes it more difficult to talk about. And it also makes it more difficult for people to be willing to invest in solutions or to really be empathetic in the way that they're treating it. But addiction is known as the great equalizer. It's every city, every age, every race, every class, it affects everyone. And I think that probably everyone has known someone that's died of an overdose or, you know, alcohol addiction or something like that. And if you don't, you're one of the few. Um, and I think it's also eye opening when you think about the impact on employers. Like substance abuse is costing employers $442 billion a year. It's incredible. And one of the reasons that I really wanted to hone in on this topic was particularly with regards to COVID. Because a lot of people are drinking more than they've ever drank before. A lot of people are turning to illicit substances to help them cope with the stress they might not have before. And a lot of people that have been in long-term recovery are relapsing because they no longer have any of the social support like AA meetings and other 12-step meetings that they have relied on for probably most, if not all, of their sobriety. So it's really eye-opening. And what really sparked me to want to dive in deeper was this study that I saw that almost half of employees 
were self-reporting they were drinking on the clock during the workday. And to me, anytime something like that is self-reported, you have to hit, like the number is really higher than that. Of course, of course it is. Oh my God. And it it could be, you know, a beer during the company-sponsored happy hour at 4.30 p.m. Or it could be someone having a pretty heavy cocktail at noon. Like it, it didn't go into that data. So that is obviously something that needs to be kept in mind. But... To me, that's just shocking that 50% of employees are saying that they're drinking during the day and 33% of employees are saying that they're drinking more than they usually do. So it makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. And I believe all of this to be true. And I think that a lot of people have made the connection between COVID, the pandemic and a rise in dependence and addiction, or at least more of an expression of what's going on in the world. But we lived in a broken world where hurt people were hurting people long before COVID. And I think while COVID may have given us more opportunities to, I don't know, hurt ourselves, hurt other people, I think there was much more wrong with the world than we actually talk about. And so that's why I appreciate this conversation because an employer that only sees you as an addict or not is not an employer that understands human behavior because as you mentioned, addiction is the great equalizer. It could be any of us. I mean, it could be all of us at any given time. And I just feel like when we don't talk about what's going on in our lives and we don't admit that we have a whole self, we diminish ourselves as human beings and we actually can't meet our whole potential at work. I don't know if any of that makes sense. I've never said any of that out loud. (laughs) Do you get what I'm saying? Absolutely, absolutely. And I couldn't agree more. I think that certainly with addiction too, or or substance abuse, I mean, there's such a wide range of what that could look like, right? You could be dependent upon having a glass or two of wine every single night with dinner and to anyone else, you know, and that's the thing with addiction too, is that nobody else, including, and especially an HR supervisor cannot diagnose you, right? It is something that is deeply personal. And it's something that, that has to be something that you diagnose yourself essentially. And so I think that makes dealing with substance abuse at work really tricky because if it's a performance issue, you can focus on the performance issue, but you cannot say, I think you have a problem. Let's talk about it. The only thing you can do is to try to create that trust and environment to hope that someone would trust you to talk about what's going on or how you can support them. And that's why, you know, I don't have any real answers when it comes to the substance abuse issue. I just really want people to talk about it more because I think that by talking about it more, by bringing up some of these statistics, maybe sharing them in a company-wide email and saying, Hey guys, like we know this is happening. Here's the resources that we have for you. Here's the 100% confidential number that you can call or the services that we provide. And the fact of the matter is that a lot of people who might benefit from those services won't end up using it. But by continuing to bring it up and by continuing to have these conversations, my hope is that over time we'll reach the same level of destigmatization that we've reached with anxiety and depression and other mental health disorders so that people do feel more comfortable admitting when they have a problem and looking for help before it gets to a point where you know employers are losing a significant amount of money or they're put in a position where they really have no other choice but to let someone go because of something that happened at work. Well, all of this makes me think about the real role of human resources. For years, we focused on compliance. And I think that piece of compliance and administration is still there, even with awesome technology. With the best HCM technology, you still need people to really define the parameters of what's acceptable and what's right within an organization. But 
HR professionals also have this opportunity to help people realize their full potential at work. And that's the exciting work. That's the interesting work. And they can also help individuals understand boundaries and when not to work and to take a break. And I think there's this relentless push for productivity that burns people out. And I don't know if it's a chicken and an egg with dependency and we don't really have to continue down that rabbit hole, but there's just a lot of unhealthy behaviors. And I think there's a place for HR to say, stop, it doesn't have to be this way. So when it comes to boundaries, when it comes to productivity, when it comes to this constant drive and push for work, what's HR's role in that from your perspective? So I think that HR has a very powerful role to play in terms of helping to set expectations, not only with individual employees, but particularly with management. And I think that, again, HR is in this very coveted position and that it gets to work super closely with the C-suite and it gets to work super closely with the frontline workers and kind of be a liaison between the two and help each understand what the other one is looking for. Because ultimately, business executives need productivity because they need to meet the bottom line in order to keep the doors open and to keep paying the employees. So it is very important that we remain productive and that we do the best we can as people. But it's also, again, chicken and the egg kind of thing. Employees cannot bring their best to work if they're not taking care of themselves outside of work as well as at work. And so I think that HR really needs to be listening to their people. I think that is huge. So whether that is doing regular pulse surveys or finding some other way to really get that qualitative and quantitative data from your people to find out how are you doing really? How can we help really? And then taking that information to the executives and finding a way to really be creative and create a system and a culture and an environment where people feel the freedom to take care of themselves, but they're also inspired to do their best because they know that they're being taken such great care of and they want to take great care of the company. And also that the managers and the the executives look at this and they see, wow, you know, this is what our people need. And we know that our people are our business. And we know that taking care of them is ultimately the best investment we can make in our organization. And so we will support you in whatever you think is best. Well, I love the way you put that. And I think it dovetails nicely into a question I want to ask about how do we move forward? What's the way forward? But before we talk about the way forward, I feel like it would be totally irresponsible not to talk about some of the social justice movements that are cropping up around the nation. We've got Black Lives Matter. We have the recent Supreme Court ruling that you can't be fired for being gay, bisexual, or trans at work. And I just wonder, you know, as we've talked about cultures, we've talked about the role of management and leadership. Are we just paying lip service sometimes to minority communities at work? And what's our responsibility to make sure that we don't alienate our workforce going forward? Because you just talked about human potential. And I think, you know, we've given opportunities to the majority class of our workforce, but we've really skipped over that for far too long for the minority components of our workforce. So what are your thoughts on all that? Yes, I have many. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about diversity initiatives for, I mean, ever since I started getting into the HCM industry. So I'm sure it's been spanning even further than that. And at the same time, I feel like we haven't seen as much actual action at all 
And so (laughs) we know that it's best for companies to have a diverse workforce. We know that it's best for society to be treating everyone equitably. And yet here we are and nothing has really changed. And I think that organizations, especially in light of everything that's happened over the past couple of months, are realizing two things. Number one, that people are demanding better. Right. So, and and honestly, I think that the seeds were planted a long time ago, which is fantastic. I mean, I think it was last August that the business roundtable released their statement saying that they thought that the role of a corporation should not just be to take care of the shareholders, but also to invest in their people and protect the environment and make sure that they're working with vendors that are treating their people equitably and things like that. So, I mean, it's, it's a good thing that CEOs are realizing this because people are starting to demand it. Employees are starting to demand it within their own organizations. People are starting to look at the demographics of the leadership boards of the companies that they support and asking questions if they're not seeing the kind of diversity that they want to be seeing. So really, I think it's been a wake-up call for a lot of organizations that, wow, this isn't something we can just talk about anymore. We really have to start moving the needle, which is fantastic. And I mean, that social proof is absolutely huge. And then I also think that organizations and individuals, and I'm speaking for myself here as well, are starting to realize that there's a difference between not doing harm and moving the needle for good. So, I mean, I think almost everyone likes to think of themselves as a good person and likes to think of themselves as fair and equitable. But the reality is that we all have biases. We all have discriminations. We all, you know, tend to be drawn to people that have that sameness to us for whatever reason. And I think that it's been a wake-up call that just because you're not going out of your way to discriminate, you're continuing the status quo. And you need to be doing so much more than that to actually start making a difference towards right. And you have to actively work against systemic inequality. And you have to actively promote and hire and pay a lot of attention to your Black and BIPOC employees. And you have to actively be having these conversations with your family members. You have to actively be educating yourself. You have to actively be educating the rest of your workforce. There's just a lot more action that needs to take place. And I think that that has become very clear to myself and everyone else in the industry, which is really exciting, actually. Yeah, a lot of opportunity moving forward. Well, let's talk about returning to work as we wrap up the conversation today. And maybe we can leave on kind of a positive note because we have a lot of work to do in our organizations. But I know you've got some hopes and dreams for HR and for the workforce moving forward. So what are they? Absolutely. So I really think that I guess I would hone it down to two different primary initiatives. And one of them, I think, is focused on kind of the COVID angle, which is remote working. And I think that this push towards allowing more and more employees who want to be able to work remotely or to have more flexible schedules really is a win-win for everyone. It's certainly a win-win for employees. It's a lot of money to be saved for employers. It could do incredible things for the environment. There's opportunities for wealth distribution across all of the United States if we no longer have to have all of these big tech salaries in a few different cities. So there's just countless opportunities here, I think, to really change this outdated culture of having to have everyone in the same office and having to have these arbitrary hours. And of course, there are certain roles where you need that. And of course, if you're serving as a bottleneck, if you're not available during this time, and because of that, it's causing everyone else's work to be delayed, that's a totally different story than what I'm talking about. But I feel like for most people, the difference between 
getting an assignment done at 830 in the morning versus 430 or six o'clock or eight o'clock at night is probably not going to make a huge difference for the entire organization. So I just think that there's a ton of opportunity. And I'm really, really, really excited to see whether or not this momentum continues once there's a vaccine or whatever the case may be. And we do start opening up more and more of our offices. And then secondly, I have really high hopes for the world of work as well as for society in general when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And one thing that I am really, really proud of that we're doing at Ultima Software right now is last year, we opened up our Equity at Work Council, which is an interdisciplinary group of leaders that are working together to really look at evidence-based strategies to achieve more open and inclusive cultures. So like we said, it's not just talking about lip service. We're looking at the research and not only the research of whether or not diversity is good for organizations, because we know that it is, but what specific steps organizations can take to actually move the needle. And so there's three different groups in it. There's a research group, then there's a thought leadership group, and then there is practice groups where we're going to be bringing together a lot of different organizations to talk about what's working in their industries, what's working in their organizations, and just kind of really create this grassroots effort of changing <laughs> changing what is for far too long been a very biased and discriminatory world of work. And it's really starting to pick up steam. And we have three primary initiatives for this year, including an annual research study. And we're also going to be creating an equity at work index, which is designed to establish and benchmark again, the qualitative and quantitative drivers of workplace equity. So all of that will be combined to create a series of open source tools and resources to help organizations really identify and overcome their own barriers. So I'm really excited about the work that we're doing there. And I'm incredibly excited about the work that I'm seeing so many other major organizations doing and what they're demanding from from their people, the actions that they're taking. I think that we are seeing a very real movement here. And I expect it to continue to pick up steam rather than slow down. And I think that the world of work and our society in general is going to be much, much, much better off for it. Well, I believe you, Karina, and I believe in you. You're part of the future of work. So I'm super excited to have you there at the front lines representing really big, bold, and important ideas. So thanks for coming on the podcast today and sharing all of your good stuff. If people want to learn more about you or Ultimate Software, where should they go? What's good? What should they look for? And we'll include it all in the show notes. So what do you what do you want to show us? Absolutely. So my Twitter handle is at Karina Lynn S. So that's K-A-R-I-N-A-L-Y-N-N-E-S. I also have an Instagram with the same handle, but before word, it's mostly me doing yoga and cooking because those are the things that I'm passionate about in my home life outside of, you know, hopefully changing the world of work. Can I tell you, I love the Instagram account. You know that I'm a fan. <laughs> so I'm excited to see the new baby at some point too. So that's going to be pretty awesome. And we'll send everybody on over to Ultimate Soft where I wrote a white paper and partnered with you on that to talk about the future of work in a post-COVID era. So we'll have a link to that as well. Absolutely. And the one other place that I would like to send people other than obviously all of Ultimate Social Channels is we do have a Equity at Work social room that we've created, which is a group on LinkedIn that's really... The purpose is to continue having a lot of these conversations and to make sure that it's similar to the Equity at Work Council's mission, but you don't have to be an invited member of the council. It's for everyone to work together to really start honing in on some of these issues and driving a difference in the world of work. 
Well, Karina, it was really awesome to talk to you today and to catch up. Always really fun. Thanks again for being a guest. Thank you so much, Lori. It's been my pleasure. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Karina Schulteis. If you want more information on all the links she mentioned or to connect with Karina on LinkedIn or Twitter or wherever, feel free to head on over to lauriruderman.com forward slash punkrockhr dash 115. I'd like to take a second and recognize you for being such a fantastic group of listeners. Thank you so much for coming to Punk Rock HR. Week in, week out, even when the world is crazy, we are growing. It just defies all of my expectations and it's because of you. So thank you so much. We'll see you next week on Punk Rock HR. 